Yo, applesauce be good, man. Peace, peace, peace. I am Philip Roundtree, and you're tuned into episode 45 of Hashtag You Good, man. I had to get my last little spoonful of applesauce in, right? I don't know. I, applesauce is such an underrated... Do I call it a fruit? Do I call it a treat? I'm not sure. A snack? I'm not sure what you call it, but applesauce is banging. I always prefer applesauce over an actual apple. <laughs> but listen, you're tuned into episode 45 of Hashtag You Good, man. In this episode, we're going to be having a conversation on men, microaggressions, and misandry. So the idea of, of this podcast came from the men's group that I hold. Within the group, we were having a discussion about how men are affected by microaggressions, especially within the, the workplace setting. So we have various brothers sharing about their experience of being on the receiving end of microaggressions, whether it's from a superior or whether it's from a colleague. And so, so often we rarely hear about men being on the receiving end of microaggressions. I know people to say, listen, we live in a patriarchal system where men benefit and they're usually the perpetrators of microaggressions and not necessarily the receivers. And I will say, listen, we can say that that, that that definitely is true, but we don't want to negate the fact based off the fact that the st it, it may be skewed uh, that men aren't severely impacted by microaggressions and by, by misandry. People who might not be familiar with misandry, that means just a, a, the hate of, of men. It's the opposite of misogyny. And so during this discussion, we, we truly started to, to dissect these types of experiences that we've had, especially with myself being in a, a female dominated profession such as social work and having worked for in, in various settings where I indeed as a man was a minority. And the comments and the assumptions and the, the innocuous comments, because I th think that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about microaggressions. We're talking about those slight, often unintended discriminatory comments or behaviors towards a marginalized group, whether it's, it's race-based, gender-based, sexuality-based, or mental health-based, and so much more. And so in this case, me being a, uh, the, a male and a female-dominated space such as social work they were indeed gender-based and i'll get into to really what that looks like a little bit later and and how it manifests itself but i think it's first important that we truly understand what microaggressions are which i just defined but what it looks like and then you can it, hopefully it sparks some aha moments if you are a perpetrator of using microaggressions listen we are human right we're fallible we have some assumptions, right? We have some assumptions that we may feel unconsciously feel. So one of those that that's so prominent is she's pretty for a dark skinned girl. Dark skinned women have heard this for since the beginning of time, especially um, during hip hop. Again, one of the reasons why I have such a love hate relationship with hip hop because it pushed this idea for the last 30, 40 years of the light-skinned, the, the light-skinned, uh, exotic person of color, right? So in these music videos, you're seeing the Gloria Velez's, the, the, uh, man, I'm trying to, trying, the Melissa Ford's, 
right? You're starting to see all of these, all of these women. And clearly I can name a lot of the, the, the fair skinned women who've been in these music videos. And this was pushed to us. This was pushed to us. So when you do see a, a dark skinned African American woman, you like, oh, damn, you cute. You're cute for a dark skinned girl. And it's just like, wait, what? No, you're just cute. You're just pretty. And even if we want to delve deeper, when we say that somebody is cute and pretty, we're saying that they hit the genetic lottery, <laughs> right? And so should we even be going that far to say, listen, to, 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 to identify who's pretty and who's attractive and who's not, right? Yes, we have our preferences, but what's influencing our preferences and what's influencing what we're saying and can it be misconstrued as microaggressions? And so that's just me being transparent with um, something over the years that I, I really had to make a conscious effort and look at. It was a period of time in my teenage years and my early 20s where I would exclusively date like like light skinned African American woman until I came across a a dark skinned woman who took my heart and did the AI crossover and hit the nailed the jump shot like you know what I was feeling like Jordan in that situation and then it really opened my mind right to listen and then I had to really do just do some self analysis like yo this is a dumb perspective to have right where you're sitting judging somebody based on the color of their skin we're talking about the brown paper bag test that has been done historically to differentiate between um who was in the house during slavery and who was outside or who could be a member of this church or who could be a member of this sorority alpha kappa alphas or or you if you're dark skinned being a part of delta sigma theta right so and and again, these things hold true. When I say that right then and there, again, that's what I automatically picture, right? I picture AKAs as being fair-skinned women, and I think of Delta Sigma Thetas being of of a of a heavier build, right? And and being dark-skinned. When in reality, again, that's not the truth because I know various various women of no matter how their physical makeup is in each one right but it's something that we have to be mindful of some more aggression microaggressions that we typically hear or that we can hear a microaggression is asking obama for his his birth certificate right because you hear his name barack obama oh he must be from somewhere else right and again it might seem harmless it might seem harmless but in reality it's harmful it's harmful to assume that because somebody is Asian or because somebody is 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 Afro-Latina that they're not from here, that they're supposed to have an accent, right? It's just like, wait, you're Asian and you're you don't speak Mandarin, right? <laughs> An assumption that they're automatically Chinese. Again, we make these we make these assumptions and we might think that they're harmless, but think about somebody who hears that day in and day out over time how damaging to their wellness that they, that it can be and so another one that we're starting to see more and more are microaggressions uh directed towards the lgbtq community right and so again full transparency if if somebody you know some years ago if somebody was transgender i would say but they're still a man right 
And it's like, no, they're not still a man. If they identify, if, if they identify as being a woman, then they're a woman, point blank, right? We're not looking at it from a scientific perspective as far as their organs or what have you. No, we're looking at how they identify in this world, right? And so if they're saying that they're identifying as a woman, then listen, I'm going to call you a woman, right? I'm not going to think about, think about in coming to America, Think about it coming to America, that classic scene where they was talking about Muhammad Ali. His mom named him Cassius Clay, so I'm gonna call him Cassius. Right? That's 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 just that's that's obvious, blatant disrespect towards towards Muhammad Ali's identity. And we 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 make jokes about it, right? But this is somebody's reality. When we're talking about men and microaggression, again, a lot of a lot of what we see often we can see from a gender-based perspective and so we're looking at the judging of women based on their attractiveness which i just recently talked about we're also talking about it can look like comparing women athletes and subsequent athleticism to their male counterparts listen i learned at an early age not to judge women who engage in athletics Right. I can remember vividly at 13 years of age, Chanel Ross, who was an amazing high school basketball player here in the city of Philadelphia. She used to give myself and other boys and, you know, teenagers and grown men the business. Right. She used to give them the business. And it was like, bro. All right. Cool. I, <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, you feel emasculated a little bit like. Again, because we're conditioned to think of men as being the dominant, uh, the dominant figures within the sports world. And here we got this girl who crossing me up. And that's not saying much, but crossing other ball players up and really getting busy. So I learned at an early age. But again, when we start to have this comparison where it's we're using gender to to make make assumptions about skill set. Right. Because if the skills speak for themselves, it's a lot of ball players who are women who can get busy. Right. Who can get busy. We look at Serena Williams. Well, the Serena, best tennis player, one of the best athletes of all time. A lot of times they try to couch by saying she's she's one of the if not the greatest woman athlete. No, she's the greatest athlete. But again, that's a microaggression when you say she's she's one of the best women athletes because clearly if she's one of the best women athletes that's ever existed that means between when we add the two genders together she's still at the top so yeah we have to be mindful of those those types of microaggressions that exist as well and then we're talking about gender roles i made a post earlier about in the week about how gender roles are becoming outdated so we're talking about how women are supposed to wash dishes women are supposed to cook women are supposed to clean clothes or you know, you know, clean the clothes and what have you. And so, again, these are microaggressions when we just have these assumptions that we just think are true. Right. Even if they do at once, they came from a place of truth during a, a, per, a particular period of time. But now, if that's not the case anymore, the more that we evolve as as a society as to our, shall our perspective. And then the idea that a woman can't be my my boss. Now, I'm not working for a woman. Like, bruh, I, I definitely couldn't say that in the social work field because, again, it's a field dominated by women. And so majority, if not all my supervisors were women, especially when we're talking about in helping professions. So we're talking about 
teachers, we're talking about social workers, we're talking about, you know, therapists or, or what have you, if you work under a therapist or interning under a therapist, a lot of them are women. And so if we have this idea, well, I can't work under a woman, again, that's a that's a microaggression based off some unhealthy assumptions that some that individuals need to be mindful of going forward. So when we add when we when we add misandry into the mix and we look at how men are often are often and again I say often because it's minimized so much in today's society especially in the wake of the me too movement which was uber necessary right it's just like men you've had this time right so now we're pushing you to the side a little bit right which is necessary if we're going to have some type of change that the focus needs to shift Right. But that doesn't mean that the experiences are any less invalid. And so when we talk about men, microaggression and misandry and men being hurt by the practice of patriarchy, then we need to truly look at what that looks like. And so what that looks like are men only think with their dicks. Like I've heard this before. Right. And just general conversation, because it's assumption that all men care about is sex. When I know there's a lot of women who care more about sex than than me per se, but that again, that's not saying much. <laughs> We're talking about a man would understand. A man wouldn't understand. Excuse me. So when we say a man wouldn't understand, what are we saying that they're they're not inherently smart, that they don't have the cognitive abilities to to think through a situation? Let's talk about men are obsessed with lesbians. I swear people that, you know, especially at an earlier age, it was this idea that men loved lesbians, right? Men love lesbians. If you watch porn, it's lesbian porn. Full disclosure, I can't watch lesbian porn. It does nothing to me, right? You didn't ask for that information. It might be TMI, but listen, we grown. We grown, Right? And so no, I'm not obsessed with with lesbian porn. Give me some some regular what's regular porn? I don't even know what regular porn is these days. But but you know, give some regular porn. Right? But again, these assumptions that we have. We're talking about, you know, he's, you know, artistic. He's he's artistic. What are we what are we saying? Right? What are we talking about his sexuality? We're talking about his identity. These are microaggressions, right? Because of you are a specific way, because you might be uh, homosexual, because you might be bisexual. That means you're you're artsy. You're the you're the gospel choir leader, right? No, that's not that's not necessarily true. But we make these innocuous statements because we always find the need to attach something, right? We always need to attach something to a to a specific behavior. Right. So, again, something to be mindful of and probably the the most frequent um, of offenses is be a man. Right. Telling a man to be a man. What does that even mean? As we start to redefine masculinity and manhood and we start to recognize that we need to truly be focusing on on healthy human beings who know how to emote, who know how to exhibit true strength. Right. Not just the physical aspects. What exactly is be a man? 
it's a microaggression that many boys, especially young boys, are hit with both by men and by women. And so when we talk about when we talk about sexuality, we're talking about uh, a woman who might not want to date a man who's bisexual. Right. Not because that's not what her preference is. That's OK. That's fine. If that's not your preference, that's not your preference. But the fact of well, he's confused. Confused? No, he's telling you exactly who he is. When people tell you who they are, you should believe him, right? He's telling you, this is who I am. I am bisexual. I like men, I like women, or I like, you know, just no matter how one identifies. But when we start to offer up reasoning, right, or make assumptions on their behalf, because you don't want to believe who I say that I am. That's considered a microaggression. So we need to be mindful of this because it does have an impact on our wellness. And so the impact on our psychological and emotional impact is that there's a pressure to represent for your group. Right. So often I find myself having to be the man who's an ally. I have to be overt with it. Right. I have to show that I'm not the assholes who make comments such as uh, pretty for a dark skinned girl. Even though I was that asshole at one point or not to say asshole, I was that uh, unaware. I wasn't self-aware. So that forced me to project. Right. I lacked information. I lacked awareness. And so now here I am, I have to go out of my way to show that I'm not the, the man that you that that you have all men pegged out to be. And we see that across again, we see that across races, uh, race and ethnicity, where African-Americans have to show that they're that they're not lazy and shiftless. Because two people in, in, in history might have been lazy or shiftless. I'm exaggerating, of course. So you have to go above and beyond to show how intelligent you are. I think that's the African-American's creed. You have to be too good. You have to be two times as good, right? That's what we that's what we preach to one another generation after generation. We have to be two times as good to get that same opportunity. And women experience that, too, especially within the workplace. When we talk about promotions and we talk about recognition. When we talk about the, the impact, we're talking about the acquisition of self-doubt and poor self-image when you start to hear microaggressions over and over and over again, which we know can impact self-esteem, it can impact mood, which can lead to to things such as imposter syndrome. Check out the episode I did previously on imposter syndrome, where we're questioning our abilities. We're questioning our intelligence. If you're if you're if you're questioning me as a man and question my ability to emote and to and to to look at something from a, um, an emotional standpoint. Right. If, if I'm hearing this consistently, then I might look at myself as saying, am I capable? Am I worthy enough? And then uh, a, a byproduct of, of consistent microaggressions is just fear and distrust. Black folk fear, you know, fear and distrust white folk. 
right? And so they just don't want to be bothered. They don't want to be bothered with them because there's this fear and, and distrust that you're going to make assumptions about me without ever knowing who I am or what I represent. When we get to the physical ailments of, of microaggression, we're talking about increased stress. It's stressful having to be two times as good. It's stressful to always hear that you're pretty for Darcy and brother. Like we went through this phase too. Darkskin brothers wasn't always in. You know, you had you had your light skinned folk like Genuine and you you know and Shamar Moore. I still got beef with Shamar Moore. I have no idea why. Maybe because he a light skinned. Right? We got some love with Wesley. And now we getting more and more love. You got the Kofi, the Kofi Bull. You got my 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 uncle, my big brother, Idris, Idris Elba. But but hearing that you look cool for you know you look alright for a dark skinned brother, heard that as well. Or you look you look good for being a uh, a big brother, back during my chunky phases. It's just like damn. Well, what's the expectation that that bigger brothers that that heavier brothers aren't aren't attractive? We aren't viewed in the same light as our slimmer counterparts. So again. And all of this can impact, you know, our, our, our mental health. And so we're acquiring, we're acquiring depression. We're acquiring, uh, anxiety. Physically, we might get high blood pressure just because of the constant stress that we experience. And so lastly, when we talk about solutions, we're talking about just being able to confront the microaggression that's causing you discomfort. We can't assume that people are mind readers when we when we when they express or when we're the recipient recipients of microaggressions. Voicing our thoughts teaches how to treat people, right? It voices us how to how to treat people, and more importantly, teaches people how to treat us. Because if we don't teach somebody, if we don't use these teachable moments that may come up then we're partially responsible for it continuing on. Again, we have to look at it as as an individual type of flaw or deficit, but a collective one as well. Because if we can't have these conversations with people, because we are constantly offended, then the cycle will continue. And so the reason why I say when able confront the microaggression, because every opportunity is not worth addressing, right? Every opportunity just in life is not worth the response. And so the reason is because, listen, if you might, if somebody's making a, a you know, a microaggression related to your sexuality and you want to, you want to confront them, right? This can be dangerous. This can have physical or and or verbal consequences when we talk about confrontation so safety is always first in these situations when we're talking about confronting somebody else we have to think about what can happen it's unfortunate but it's true and it's real now within the employment setting that that's a little bit different right that's a little bit different because again you can confront your colleague or your superior most appropriate will probably be to go to HR. You want to document the, the experience that took place. 
you want to send written notification as well as verbal notification in the event that it escalates. Because if it escalates, you want to have documentation that you've made some attempts. Right? Because then that's so it's to open up the doors to lawsuits or what have you. So again, that's when we talk about solution based. Right. Solution based confrontation is is definitely one of the things that that's that can be a healthy way. Right. Reassess whether the job is for you. You got to reassess whether the job or that environment that you're in is for you. Where I am now protecting my peace means everything. So if I'm in a space, most of the time I'm in spaces voluntarily. But if I become uncomfortable with the types of conversation that's taking place, then first and foremost, isn't coming upon me to leave. But if you don't have that opportunity, again, you could do the aforementioned, but again, every opportunity, every job isn't a great job. Sometimes permanently leaving a stressful environment will do wonders to enhance your wellness. I can attest to it twofold. Leaving child welfare, an unhealthy, toxic environment. And I felt 10 years lighter, 10 years younger. And so as always, going to therapy, going to therapy is, 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 is a great way to express yourself. So you're not internalizing what you're experiencing. You want to go to somebody who's well-versed in microaggressions, discrimination, and trauma, because it'll benefit you. It'll benefit you having that outlet where you can not only express yourself, but you can also learn strategies to cope. So listen, I appreciate you guys for tuning in. Quick plugs. I have the How to Succeed as a Co-Parenting Father on September 24th. You can always inquire about wellness coaching at www.quantifyllc.net. As far as the How to Succeed as a Co-Parenting Father, that's at quantifyllc.net slash webinar. You can check it out there. We also have the You Good Men's Men's Book Club. You can check out quantifyllc.net slash book club. And, and also, you know, again, follow me on Instagram at Phil underscore quantify and Twitter, even though I don't use Twitter. Catch me on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Philip MSW. I appreciate you guys. Peace. <laughs>